1: Welcome to Clear Eyes Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode by episode look at the award winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Oristano. I play Mindy Colette Riggins.
0: And I'm Derek Phillips and I play Billy Riggins.
1: Our assumption is that you, the listeners, have already watched the show.
0: But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our
1: podcast. And as always, we have merchandise. That's right,
0: Stasis. So go check out our brand new website designed by Eleanor Carrez, who is at Eleanor Carrez on Instagram. Our website is com. That's com. It makes you laugh every time.
1: Because <laughs> it really does sound like a radio commercial. I love That's it so objective. much. That's the objective. We always want to answer your questions, so email us anything you want to know. Nothing's off limits here, guys. It's clear as fullheartspod at gmail.com today. Season 2, Episode 3, Are You Ready for Friday Night? It was written by Carrie Aaron and directed by Seath Mann. Synopsis. From NBC Reads, Coach Taylor returns to Dillon to see his old team in shambles for the first game of the season as Smash and Matt continue to struggle on and off the field.
0: There's a lot to unpack in this episode, but before we get into the highlights, we're going to answer a few fan questions. So let's get to it. All right, our first question comes from Tara, who says, I'm behind y'all, currently watching season one, episode five, where Voodoo hits coach. With that magic, you and I are an arranged marriage line. My question is, Voodoo probably got a lot of offers from local coaches in that motel room a couple episodes before this conversation. Why do you think he chose Coach Taylor and the Panthers at the time?
1: I would first like to say, Tara, thank you for letting me talk about Voodoo again, because an (laughs) embargo was placed, but now I'm allowed to.
0: We are lifting this Voodoo embargo strictly for your question, Tara, but the embargo will go back in right after this episode.
1: Okay, so I have to place myself back. It's been a while since we were there. But do you remember in the conversation they were having and coach says something like respect doesn't happen in motel rooms, respect is earned on the field?
0: Yes, our our jobs aren't earned in hotel rooms. Maybe they're earned on the field.
1: To me, that's the moment where Voodoo was like, "Hmm, "Okay, I do like this guy because Ray has been on teams his entire life. And as much as he could be braggadocious and is the best in whatever, he still is a part of a team. And I would think you would still want to earn your place as being the best.
0: See, look at you, Stacey, putting it on, like, voodoo being noble, and like, I'm gonna earn a spot on the Dylan Panther.
1: Because he is.
0: Now, I guarantee you the reason voodoo chose Dylan is because Buddy Garrity backed up a Brinks truck into his family's front yard.
1: Oh, God, you're probably right after that stuff in the lockers.
0: Yeah, they gave him a decent place to stay, took care of his family a little bit. That's my guess, is probably something a little shady was happening with the boosters. But then on top of it, Dylan is a, I mean, this is a program that has won multiple state championships. We don't know how many, obviously, at the start of the show. This is one of the top programs in Texas, period, year in and year out. So, Voodoo wants to go to a place that's going to be a big school that's got a pedigree of winning seasons. And I guarantee you, there was a little bit of under the table money.
1: Okay, see, I see the glasses half full, and Derek sees the glass full of cash.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly right. how I see it.
1: <laughs> Embargo put back up. Thank you very much. <laughs> Here's our second question. It's not about he, who I'm not allowed to name anymore. It comes from Kurt R., who says, I personally found it impossible to watch the first season of the show without viewing it as a scathing and honest critique on how capitalism eats children, and let's face it, everyone else, to watch how football runs politics in the town, how the economy of the town rests directly on the shoulders of high schoolers. I guess I'm just curious if you two think it was in the minds of the writers to have this as subtext.
0: Kurt, that's a great question. I don't know that the idea of capitalism being a thing that eats a town necessarily was in the mind of the writers. I will tell you that Friday Night Lights, the book, 100% specifically talks about small towns, about how football becomes the lifeblood. It's not a celebration of football. And I don't think the TV show was either. I think the TV show was showing how crazy some of these people get because of football. It's not supposed to be the greatest thing that ever happened to you in your career. There was one thing in the book that they do talk about quite a bit, though, and that's the fact that this is an oil town. Odessa, Texas and Odessa, Permian, Mm -hmm. where the book is based, the way that oil manipulates and destroys this town. People are doing great. Oil barrels are going for 100 bucks a barrel or whatever it is, and everyone in town has money and everyone's doing great and the town is doing great, but that's not so much the case when things are belly up. The town rises and sets on oil and football. We talk a little bit about oil on this show. We know that Billy sells drill bits and your father.
1: Yeah, and the guy that Tyra dates for a hot second. Oh, I'm an oil man.
0: They chose not to jump into that so much. I don't know that this is a rebuke of capitalism so much, but that's a great question.
1: If this same TV show was taking place in a university, I would say yes, but not this. This is making me remember so much and go back to season one. There's also a moment where Tammy says, I'm not going to get the line right, but it's something about when you make these kids gods at this age, there's nowhere to go but down, which is yeah. a lot of what I see happening in the show. You build these kids up. This is the highlight of their lives, and it's just going to go terribly downward from here. In the
0: book *Friday Night Lights*, one hundred percent talks about that specifically through the character of Booby Miles, who was this amazing African American athlete who was on his way to scholarships in college. But like the guy had no education; he could barely read. He winds up getting injured, and at that point, his college career is essentially over. And it just talks about the way that this small town kind of used these kids, chewed them up and spit them out. And once their football value was done with, they were basically tossed aside. And they talk about this later in Friday Night Lights. Buddy Garrity is a little bit more of a comedic character, but he represents the boosters that are really kind of destroying the small town by the scoreboard being more important than an education. That's one of the big differences between the book and the TV show, I think, is that the central characters in the TV show are Tammy and Coach, and Tammy and Coach are basically all that is right and good in Dylan, Texas. We see how Football has destroyed some of the lives of the people in this town.
1: There's also a really good documentary that follows H.G. Bissinger now. It's only a couple of years old. I think it's on HBO. And part of it is him going back and speaking to some of those students that he wrote it about. And one of them is in jail still. And he goes and talks to him about like what the book meant to him and how his life has changed since then. It's really interesting.
0: But yeah, I mean, I feel like the book was more of a condemnation on football and this obsession that we have with high school football.
1: These questions are smarter than I was prepared to be this morning.
0: I'm telling you, I just woke up. How do you think I feel? Let's get to our third question, which is from George Mc... I'm going to try and pronounce this Macleese. He says, my question is for Stacy. that is based on one version of the Where Are They Now that I like, that Billy is still coaching and Mindy has taken over the drama program at Dillon. As a fellow high school theater nerd, what play slash musical would Mindy have the students doing this year?
1: I love this so much. So Mindy
0: is now the drama teacher at Dylan High in this fictitious fast forward. And Billy is the head football coach. So what play or musical, Stacey?
1: Here's what I think happens. Yes. She definitely starts a production of Hamilton without knowing that it is not licensed yet. And she doesn't have the rights to it. And the school gets hit with a major lawsuit and she gets in big trouble. So then I don't think she's a traditionalist. So it's not going to be like Oklahoma woman, oh, Annie, get your gun. She's probably going to do, I would say, like a spring awakening, and it touches on very adult subjects with high schoolers at the center of it, and it would cause an uproar in the sleepy town of Dylan. I like that. That's what's happening. Do
0: you think she's doing a production of Hamilton with a predominantly white cast?
1: All white. Absolutely. Lynn <laughs> manuel sends a letter, a cease and desist to yeah. Dylan High School.
0: I like this. I think this is probably exactly what's going on.
1: Can you picture how bad that would be? Oh boy. Okay, one more. Joshua Sanchez, I was at the ATX Festival in 2016. Shout out ATX Fest, Ida Blast. What was the experience like for you all? So that was our big reunion year, right?
0: Yes. Yes, because it was the 10-year reunion of mm-hmm. the show broadcast. It was, I mean, one of the funnest weekends I think I've ever had in my life. It was just great to see everybody. We had so much fun. The gals who put the ATX Festival on have become close friends and they're just amazing and have been so supportive of Friday Night Lights and so supportive of this podcast. Individually, I've seen everyone from the show multiple times over the years, but having everyone back together five years after we wrapped or six years after we wrapped was just really a fun time. It
1: was also interesting, too, to have the mix of people that hadn't been together necessarily like Gaius and Matt Lauria in the same space and the entire family there, which we didn't normally have. Emily and Caitlin, who run the festival, had a Tito's van that drove the cast everywhere we needed to go. And inside the Tito's van, there was a Tito's bar that was part of the weekend.
0: Yeah. And inside of me, there was a lot of booze. That's back when I was still drinking. So
1: A lot of booze. (laughs)
0: We drank a lot back then. It was just such a blast seeing everybody and that was something Stacey yeah what you brought up just now that like Matt Loria hanging out with Gaius I hadn't even thought about that but yeah because you and I were in all five seasons but there are people that mm-hmm. were done after season three or done midway through season four who hadn't met some of the new cast members and so that yeah. was really cool the new cast members were also such big fans of the show I feel like Matt anytime he was around some of the newer cast members was kind of like a, a little, little starry-eyed. kid yeah yeah
1: I remember like in the first or second episode because we did a big thing with like young entertainment or something out on the actual field. And we were waiting to go out on the field inside the locker room. And on the way out, we, as Derek likes to put it as a cast, we all slap the P all yeah. the way out to the field to go meet all the fans. That was a fun
0: weekend. It was a fun weekend, but man, it was also, it was a little bittersweet because I just miss that experience of being around everybody and seeing all those guys on a regular basis. And it was tough to say goodbye again. I do yeah. remember, yeah, we were doing an interview with Entertainment Weekly and I remember they said, where do you think Grandma Saracen is now? And Lu- oh, Ann said, God. she's probably dead. Oh God. <laughs> and I just remember laughing hysterically and being like, I can't say that, Luann. Oh bless. But that's a great question. Thank you, Josh.
1: Let's get into this episode. All
0: right, let's do it.
1: Okay, top of the show. I am assuming... This is Landry's first time spending the night with a lady and it is the lady he has loved for a while. And so like losing your virginity, not something to be taken lightly. I hope Tyra has taken this into consideration. I don't know if she has, but also I have to point out these kids are just really good at sneaking in and out of windows.
0: They are really, really good at sneaking in and out of windows. But yeah, I think it's safe to assume this is Landry's first time.
1: I bet he didn't sleep that whole night. You know how at the beginning he's just staring at her before she wakes up. I guarantee he didn't sleep a wink that whole night. I can imagine.
0: The next thing we see is this little moment where I kiss the neighbor next door, and that (sighs) was mine and Brooke Langdon's stellar idea pitching a storyline to the writers, and this is where I essentially wrote myself off the show for most of the second season. (laughs)
1: Congrats for that. Yeah, thanks.
0: It was a really brilliant move on my end. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in this episode.
1: So Matt comes up and apologizes to Coach about his and Julie's breakup. It was sweet and weird and obviously news to Coach and then later Tammy. I am wondering, Dee, if you have ever apologized to a girlfriend's parents after a breakup.
0: I have not. Very few women I've dated have actually let me meet their parents. Uh, so I haven't really had an opportunity to apologize after the breakup.
1: That's so sweet. He just he does is. very nice things.
0: And I love that he's the one apologizing for it. He's done nothing wrong at this point in time. I know. has been railroaded thing. by the Swede Julie who's in this weird place right now.
1: This new coach seems to specifically hate Tim Riggins and a wondering what that's about. If he just picks out a player to prove his dominance, I don't know.
0: I think what it shows is that certain coaches coach every player the same way. And by that, I mean, this guy wants discipline from all of his players. Most of the players have bought into it. And Tim is a guy who doesn't necessarily buy into that. Tim needs to be coerced in a different way. That's what makes Coach Taylor so good at his job, is that Coach Taylor looks at every one of these individual players and says, okay, you know what? Smash is a little bit different than Matt Saracen. Matt Saracen is a little bit different than Tim. And this is how I can get the best from all these guys. And that's what good coaches do. This guy's put everyone in the same box and he says, I'm going to instill discipline in you. And a guy like Matt Saracen going to work just fine, not work fine under that, but he's going to obey the rules, essentially. Smash is loving it because Smash is a guy who's extremely motivated. But for Tim, I think that Tim, given his upbringing and given what his life has been like, he's not a guy that does well with people screaming in his face.
1: Doesn't love authority.
0: No, no. But look at how Coach was able to get Tim to to excel. Coach Taylor was. So I think that's what this is basically on a writing standpoint is is there to show us. Also, we love Tim and Coach's Pissing us off because he's treated him.
1: him. We're watching him then get taken out on a stretcher. And I'm going to say, like, yeah, this kid drinks. He makes some poor choices, but he's also in stellar physical shape. So him going off on a stretcher was actually jarring for me to see, but I do love that our town is just so small that the doctor knows exactly who you are.
0: I think it's also a smart move on the writer's part because I know this when I was playing high school. I mean, this idea that like you can't have water breaks. I know there's this idea that we're helicopter parents now or whatever, but nobody should die from playing football. People shouldn't die from heat exhaustion playing football. And there was this idea when I was playing that like You don't get water breaks kind of thing. I mean, we did get water breaks, but I remember kids passing out. I remember kids throwing up. I remember kids getting to the point of having heat exhaustion. And nowadays, I don't feel like we push kids to that place anymore, and for good reason. But there were stories happening all over the country around this time of kids just being pushed too far and literally having cardiac arrest or dying of heat exhaustion on the field. So I think a little bit of this is also on a writer's standpoint to show, number one, to use... topical storyline because this was happening like every start of a football season which August and you're doing two a days or whatever and the other thing is I think also to just show that this coach, he's a little out of control
1: Even happening today when we look at the younger athletes performing in the Olympics and the stuff that they're going through with their coaches this is like a never-ending cycle of things we do to children.
0: Speaking of coaches and different coaching strategies the head coach at TMU tells Coach Taylor to cut this underperforming quarterback that's on their football team and I feel like the wheels are turning more and more in Coach Taylor's mind he's getting smacked in the face with the reality that college football is a totally different monster than high school. The objective in high school football is to turn young boys into men, essentially. And the objective in college football, it's more of a business. It's more about product, product, product. We got to win games at all costs. Not that Dylan doesn't have that as well. But Coach's objective is to, yes, win football games, but it's also to teach young boys how to become men. That's kind of tossed out the window on the collegiate level. And I think Coach Taylor is seeing more and more of that. And I think we're starting to see this rip in terms of what he thought he always wanted, which was to excel at the collegiate level. And maybe that where his place is, is maybe in high school.
1: Molding the young minds. Yeah. He's yeah. better at it. Glenn is back. Glenn <laughs> has all the info on the fact that Julie and Matt have broken up. It's apparently all over school. And we hear coach over the phone say, tell Glenn to sit down and be quiet.
0: I love that he tells Glenn, get your hands out of my wife's icebox or whatever it is. Who
1: says icebox?
0: I don't know. But this is the scene when we had Steve Walters on last week that I was talking about when he was in the icebox. I I can't remember what he was doing, but there was something in that scene where I was just like, dude, that's great. Keep doing that. And Connie was like, are you directing him? And I was like, oh, no, 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 no.
1: I haven't heard icebox except for like movies from the 1950s.
0: Kyle's an old soul. Leave him alone. Maybe that's what they call it in Georgia. That's where Kyle's from. I don't know.
1: Oh, interesting. Listeners, if you're from Georgia, please help us with this fight. So Tim doesn't have an adult, i.e. Billy, to take him out of the hospital. He's not allowed out on his own, still a minor. So the guy who comes to save him and take him out of the hospital is, of course, Buddy Garrity why not? I actually love this because yeah, these two are now going to join forces because they both don't like this new coach.
0: We've talked about this numerous times on the show, but opposites are, are people that you wouldn't necessarily see coming together, come together. And I love Buddy and Tim, this idea of them becoming allies against the new coach. I love this scene because Buddy pulls over. because Tim says, I think the reason I passed out is because I was hung over. And he goes, like, Tim, don't you say that. Don't you ever say that. I've seen you play hungover numerous times and you do just fine." <laughs> He's right. It's a brilliant little piece of writing, and Brad Leland and Taylor Kitsch play it so straight. I mean, I watched that scene four or five times on the couch yesterday just giggling. Brad just being like, don't you say that about yourself.
1: It's, <laughs> it's, like, so good. it's like Tim actually said, I can't do this. I'm a terrible player. I'll never make it. No, you don't say that. You're a great player. Yeah. No, it's like, yeah, you play hungover all the time. You're fine.
0: Yeah, just giving him this reaffirmation that playing drunk and being drunk at 18 years old is completely and totally fine. Don't you say that about yourself. Riggins going with Riggins.
1: <laughs> then we Have Matt standing up to Smash. The tension here I find is palpable. In this, not a fight, but confrontation, I guess, I don't know if there's a right and a wrong. They're both making some good points to me.
0: I completely and totally disagree with you.
1: Oh, well, I quit the podcast.
0: (laughs) I think that Smash thinks that Matt is upset about the offense centering around smash. But Matt really is upset at the way the coach is handling the players. I'm siding with Saracen on this one, honestly. It will come to a point later on where I may switch sides.
1: Okay, just leave yourself open for that, just in case.
0: Oh, I'm not leaving myself open for it because I know what happens in this episode. And I know later in this episode, Saracen does something that I'm like, whoa, that's completely and totally uncalled for, regardless of how you're feeling.
1: Truth. Okay, I hear you.
0: We come to a line here. The tension with Julian Tammy, I don't like it. I don't like watching these scenes anymore. There's a part of me that wants to grab Julie and just shake her.
1: She needs a shaking.
0: But Julie says to Tammy, I think your baby's crying. And it's such a rotten
1: teenage girl thing to say. It makes her so removed from the situation and from the family, the words, especially because I find that Tammy is definitely dealing with some sort of postpartum depression, which in and of itself is incredibly hard. And her husband is away and things at the school are weird and her daughter's being a huge brat. And then to say that on top of it.
0: And she's acting out, acting out in a variety of different ways. Ugh.
1: Oh, Julie.
0: See, I know that there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I hate Julie. And I never understood it. And I'm going, oh, you know what? Kind of get it right now. Not my favorite character on Friday Night Lights.
1: Not right now. I would like a redeeming moment for Julie soon. I hope it happens. I don't know. I don't know this season. I'm going to cut
0: her some slack because she's a kid, a very small slack.
1: Tiny, tiny, tiny of slack. Because all the other kids are also kids and they do mm-hmm. good things sometimes. Sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes. I have to say, the casting of Glenn Morshower as Jesse Plemons' dad, the two of them together look like family members, and they yeah. both have the same very subtle calmness in everything they do. That casting is so good.
0: Kudos to Linda Lowy once again. Linda Lowy is the head casting director on Friday Night Lights. Beth Sepko is also the Texas local casting director. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why they both won Emmys for... Yeah casting the show. I mean, the first season of the show, they both won Emmys for their casting of Friday Night Lights. And I mean, just throughout the series, especially when we get to season three, where you've got all these new people and new characters coming in.
1: Yeah, but Derek and I like to think that Emmy is specifically because of the casting of Billy and Mindy, but you know, whatever.
0: I have like a little fleck of gold that I keep on my shelf. As my I
1: mean, essentially, you and I have the E in our got. Let's just put it like that.
0: This is true. I just say that I'm an Emmy Award winner. Ooh, Stacy here is something very interesting. Listening. I think Buddy Garrity might be pulling a coup. A coup? I think he's pulling a coup because he reaches out to Coach Taylor and says, I need to talk to you, blah, 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 blah. And so I think he's trying to figure out a way to get Coach Taylor back.
1: I hear you. He's lost everything. He's lost his family, yeah. his best friend, his team. So yeah, I bet he's going to do something to at least get one of his things back. He is an aimless soul right now.
0: It's kind of spectacular because we start the first season of this show with Buddy Garrity essentially being one of the primary antagonists. He kind of represents everything that's wrong with Dylan Texas and with boosters in the football program mm-hmm. and then the second season it's like he's been traded over to your team i know you're not a huge football fan but there are guys like i used to hate Deion sanders when i was a kid you know what i mean yeah. but then i rooted for the dallas cowboys a little bit when i was in in high school because of jimmy johnson and then the dallas cowboys got Deion sanders and all of a sudden it's like i used to hate Deion sanders but i kind of love him because now he's playing for the cowboys you know yeah. what i mean this is kind of the same thing it's like we hated buddy Garrity in that first season but now we love all the awful things that buddy Garrity can do <laughs> because now he's going to pull this coup.
1: Yeah, we also know he's a good guy. Deep, 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 down. Yeah, I think so. D. Yes? Wow! Oh, besides you and Brooklington asking the writers, did Billy and Jackie happen? What kind of magic lines, pickup lines does Billy have?
0: Well, I mean, besides the fact that Billy's a ridiculously good-looking guy,
1: really, which, really ridiculous. Yes, I mean
0: he's insanely attractive. Besides that, I think he's just quick with a joke, light of your smoke kind of guy. No, I'm kidding. So Brooke <laughs> Langdon and I were hanging out with Jeffrey Reiner, who was the directing showrunner of Friday Night Lights. And this was after we wrapped shooting in Dallas. It was the end of season one. We were out, all of us were out having drinks one night. And Jeffrey Reiner and Brooke Langdon and I were sitting around talking. And I think Brooke and I were both, we both loved working on this show. We were just trying to figure out a way that we could stick around. And we had this wonderful idea of what if the two of us had a relationship on the show? And really I don't think Billy has any kind of magic or anything. It's, you know, one of these situations where you're next door to each other. She's working a nine to five job. What opportunity does she have to meet anyone outside of the life that she has? She's raising a kid and has a nine to five job. So the only people she's really in contact with are Billy and Tim. It didn't work out with Tim because Tim is a 17-year-old kid or 18-year-old kid or whatever Thank God. And it's just, yeah, I think I say in this episode that he's 17. I think we established that. That he's 17 years old. And it's like, what were you thinking, dude? Like, this isn't going to happen. It's not going to work out for you. And I think the fact that Billy is older, Billy has a job, Billy's a mess, but Billy, to a certain degree...
1: He keeps a household together.
0: Yeah, he's a little bit more mature, I guess.
1: Does Billy have any guilt about this? Is Billy ready to be a stepdad? What is going
0: on? I kind of played it like Billy doesn't have any guilt because Billy's sitting here like, what the hell's the matter with you, man? Did you really think that this was going to go anywhere? You're 17 years old. But Derek Phillips (laughs) is saying, dude, this is wrong. can't do this. That's the conundrum I run into sometimes having played Billy is that I get a lot of hate. Speaking of people hating a character, I mean, Billy gets a lot of hate. I kind of constantly remind people that I am not Billy Riggins. I think there's also the fact that Billy's kind of looking and feeling justified in this because Billy's given up so much of his life for Tim and realizes, as I said before, that Tim and Jackie have no future. The bottom line, though, is, as I said before, I think it's a a total jerk move. Also, that was the last time I pitched any storylines to the writers
1: so what happens with that yeah
0: because basically after this billy starts dating jackie and tim feels like he doesn't have a place to live Mm -hmm. doesn't have a home that he can be comfortable in so he basically bolts in a later episode and
1: couch surfing
0: yeah so i basically wrote myself out of the show well done jackass Congratulations. (laughs)
1: Let that be a lesson. A Riggins in church felt very weird. I loved that scene. I loved the church, that pastor, so much realness, so much like Texan goodness.
0: I can't 100% say this as fact, but I'm 99.9% positive.
1: gonna say 99%
0: yeah that this guy's a real pastor
1: he just the way that he speaks and the cadence of it like that's learned
0: well it's also just a thing that Friday Night Lights does it's like we do this constantly it's like rather than hire a person to play the clerk in a store get a person who's a clerk in a store get the owner Mm -hmm. bring them in have them do the scene we're not going to go hire some guy to be an actor to act out playing a pastor we have an episode later on where we're in an auction Tim and I And the auctioneer is a real auctioneer. Like, why are you going to... You're not going to hire some actor to play an auctioneer. Just hire an auctioneer.
1: I just rewatched again right before we are recording this. Here's what I think. I wonder if you agree. I think Tim went to church to be able to spend time with Lila. But it seemed to me that maybe some of the things the pastor was saying were starting to seep into Tim. Things about like... Sinning and you're still loved and whatever. And I wonder if maybe he did start to want something more. I can't tell where the impetus is coming from. Is it coming from a good inquisitive place or is it coming from like, I want to spend time with this girl?
0: Oh no, I don't think in any way, shape or form when we have this scene with him and Lila later where he's in her house. Once again, we talk about the children of Dylan being amazing at breaking and entering into people's homes. But yeah, I don't think that Tim is trying to manipulate Lila or is using this just as a way to have sex with her. And I think he really did have like a kind of come to Jesus moment. So
1: when he's saying, I felt things, you, you think he really was feeling things in that church?
0: I think he's feeling things, but I think what he's feeling is probably not exactly a connection to God as much as it is a connection to Lila. You know what I mean by that though? Like yeah, yeah. I feel like I had that sometimes when I went away to church camp. It's like, why did I love church camp? I love church camp so much because of the message. Well I thought I loved the message. Really it was that I love some girl that was at church camp and that's what made me really love going to church camp.
1: I loved the music too. My church didn't have music like that. I'm Catholic. Yeah. But we didn't have like rock and roll stuff. So when I got to go to churches like that, I was like, this is so fun. I feel things.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what's going on. I think he's feeling things, but I think what he's feeling is a little bit of a disassociation from what's actually going on.
1: Interesting. It's a very interesting arc to yeah. see Tim like questioning things a little bit and wondering what's going on trying to meet Lila on her level. But I don't know if this was an interesting side to Tim. I loved Taylor's choices too, because I'm like, hmm, I wonder, buddy says to coach I could make him go away and you could have your job back. And all I was thinking is, is Buddy going to hire a hitman and have this guy (laughs) off?
0: I don't think it's going to that level. But yeah, I I mean, this is, as I said before, what we love about Buddy Garrity. He's a manipulative shyster, (sighs) but he's our manipulative shyster.
1: Yeah, him bringing up Julie and Gracie, too, was so yucky, but it worked.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but that's what we love about Buddy Garrity. All the evil, awful stuff that is Buddy Garrity. Now he's on our side. so Yeah, so it
1: works. Yeah, it's great. Well, I don't know what his plan is if he's like gathering info. On, like, I'm. we'll find out, I know. Yeah. But I'm like, what? Oh, God.
0: And it's been so long since I've watched the second season. I can't even remember how he goes about doing this. But yeah, oh God. get those little wheels in motion. Let's see what Buddy Garrity's capable
1: of. Well, now he's got Riggins on his side, too. So it's supposed exactly. to be reckoned with. Julie, again, out till 2 a.m., then talks to her mother in that tone when her mother catches her making out with the suite in the car. I just want Julie to sit down and say how she's actually feeling. I feel like she doesn't know her place in this family anymore with dad gone, with new baby. It's also the first time we've ever seen or probably the first time it's ever happened that Tammy got physical. This was tense.
0: And I mean, things are falling apart and Buddy Garrity was right. I mean, Julie... She's acting out, but she's she's seeing too much too soon. She's going down a slippery slope, to use all those cliches. But even the way she's dressed with the Swede in the car, that's not the Julie that we've come to know. She's kind of scantily clad.
1: And saying the climate crisis isn't real and manufactured by the EPA, like, I don't think Julie believes that.
0: Yeah, I mean, but that's the other thing. Like, she's around kids that are, like, smoking weed and all this stuff. And it's, like, too much. And it's not the Julie that we know. This isn't the Julie that we knew in the first season.
1: Like, I want her to go back to dancing and being with her girlfriends.
0: There was an innocence to Julie in the first season of this show, and that's what I think I mean. I think that's got to be so hard for a parent to watch that, because you know where this leads. You know where this behavior leads to.
1: My mama always said, nothing good happens after 11 o'clock at night.
0: My grandfather used to say the same thing, but he said 12. He at least gave me an extra hour to hang out. Well,
1: yeah. No, I didn't get that. I didn't get an extra hour. He
0: always said, nothing good happens after midnight.
1: Hey, guess what? They were right.
0: You know, and there is some truth to it. Every time I've ever gotten in trouble in my life, it was after midnight. It's a really hard scene to watch. I love both these characters. Both of them do a great job
1: in this scene. Oh, so good. It's a family in crisis.
0: Yeah, and that's not what you expect from the Taylors. That's true. You expect this kind of stuff to happen in pretty much every other family in Dillon, Texas. But you don't expect these kind of things to happen in the Taylor family.
1: With our rock.
0: It's Camelot's crumbling in some respects. You know, mm-hmm. see, pretty smart sometimes, days. Speaking of great scenes, this is another great scene where uh, Glenn Moreshauer, who plays Landry's dad, goes into the Applebee's and he's sitting there with Tyra and he's basically questioning why she's with his son. It makes me sad, but it also, this guy knows something's up.
1: I didn't catch my first go around that he saw Tyra sneak out of the window. I caught it the second time. So yeah, he knows something's up.
0: He knows. And it's like, why, why are you with my son? I don't think it's so much like, I don't like you. I don't like your kind. It's not that. I think it's that something doesn't add up
1: here. We're just saying like, you're the hottest girl in the town. You could have yeah. any guy you want. Why are you choosing my son?
0: Yeah. And he knows his son. He knows Landry. He knows that Landry's a good guy, but he also is sitting here going, something about this doesn't add up. That's the cop side of him. Mm, yeah. It's come through. Something here doesn't add up. And that's why I'm saying something's rotten in the state of Dylan. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> Meanwhile, this, pardon my French guys, really pissed me off. <gasps> during the middle of the football game. Derek. Yeah. During the middle of the football game, Coach McGregor, you know, street's trying to give him some play calls. He's like, hey, I think we need to switch things up maybe go and and Coach McGregor once again calls Street the team mascot.
1: That's rough. And
0: I mean, I could feel my blood boiling. Up until this point, I've kind of been on the fence as to whether or not they need to oust this guy. Yeah, they need to oust this guy. He gotta go. It officially pushed me over the edge with this dude. As far as I'm concerned, let that Buddy Garrity coup begin.
1: I'm in. I'll join the coup. I'm all down. Look at me. I care about a football team. (laughs) Jesus, it's so annoying. If you could have seen my face when I watched Matt tackle smash, to me, it's something you never expect Saracen to do. I get the impetus of it and he has just lost it. I gasped. And then you see Coach Taylor looking on. He has that face where he tells you 20 things at one time and he just knows that this team, let alone his family, needs him back. And then... His wife after that falls apart. And I think that to me is the moment where it's like, this is where I'm supposed to be. I need everything is coming unglued in
0: Dylan and it's making Derek angry. I don't like it. It's frustrating as hell to watch this. And the thing is that McGregor has basically pitted these kids against each other because Mm. every single day in practice, he's building smash up and he's tearing Saracen down. And so what it's doing is creating this animosity between these two kids on the football field. Whereas Coach Taylor took Smash, who's got an ego, and kind of balanced him out. Drives me nuts watching it. But yeah, I mean, I think the wheels, once again, are starting to turn with Coach. You can start to see things in Coach's eyes going, my family's falling apart, football team's falling apart, this town's falling apart. Maybe I'm needed here. Because he's not needed in this college town. I mean, he's basically running and getting coffee for people.
1: Yeah. I don't know what happens. We'll see. Listen, 6 and 33 go to Mexico. What could possibly go wrong?
0: <laughs> I do like that we're going to have a little bit of a Tim and Street moment. Because as we've said before, I mean, these two are, are best friends. But because of circumstances, both on and off the field, we kind of haven't gotten to see what made this relationship so special. And I think that, that these next couple episodes, we'll get to see a little bit of the bonding between these two. And I think it'll be cool for as an audience. That's
1: true. The only other times we've seen them together, they've had Lila with us. Them, so it's going to be mm-hmm. good to have just the boys to see yeah. what that is. Okay, hear me out on this next one. I might be so completely out of the box with my thinking. So Matt's shoulder is hurting him. Carlotta is there. She's training be a nurse. She starts working on his shoulder, and then she starts singing to him, and I can only, in that moment, especially in that house, remember Matt singing his grandma out of the closet. I don't know if there's supposed to be a mirror to that. I'm probably mm-hmm. reading into it. It's so so intimate. It made me actually uncomfortable.
0: Uncomfortable because it's Carlotta and not Julie or uncomfortable because she's a nurse and she shouldn't be doing that with a teenager.
1: Their relationship up to now has been a little bit, not betting heads, but her stating her stance and what she is. She's like, I'm not your maid. I'm not doing your laundry. This is my job. And now she's so intimately touching him and singing into his ear. Something about it made me very uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I can't speak to that necessarily, but yeah, it is crossing a line in terms of a workplace environment situation. I mean, I know what's going to happen here, Stace.
1: I'm garnering from what you've said before, so it uh, bugged me out a little bit.
0: I hear you. I hear you. Something
1: about singing is very vulnerable. Anyway, Coach and Buddy <laughs> Handshake to end this episode, and I'm just like, oh, God, what are you guys going to do?
0: They're officially pulling a coup, and I love every second it's of a it. a coup! Let the coup begin!
1: Give us our team back.
0: Get McGregor out of here. This guy's useless. I'm tired of this guy. He's the worst. Sent my brother to the hospital called Street, a mascot. I'm done.
1: Yeah, I'm done. Goodbye. That's it.
0: Beat it, McGregor. Head back to Tennessee. Beat it, loser. So, yeah, I think that's the end of our episode, Stace
1: you guys that's it thanks for joining us season two episode three yes so
0: join us next time for episode four backfire but until then clear eyes
1: full hearts
0: can't Can't lose
1: clear eyes full hearts is a podcast presentation of cadence 13 in association with black barrel media and ritual productions
0: executive producers are stacy oristano and derek phillips chris and mandy wimmer for black barrel media and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions.
1: Our producer is Miranda Parham.
0: Send your questions to cleareyesfullheartspod at gmail.com.
1: Find us on social media. I'm Stacey Orsano on Twitter and Instagram.
0: And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram.
1: And check out our websites, cleareyesfullheartspod.com, cadence13.com, and blackbarrelmedia.com.
0: Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.